past seven. I, I'll be honest, I'm surprised we've made it this far, but that's all <laughs> to the good, and I hope that you're enjoying this uh, as much as we are. This is Judy Curtis welcoming you to another edition of Sight and Insight. This week we're going to be talking about... Um, Oh, yes, paint, painting from the memory. I'm sorry, I forgot that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so with me today, we have Lorwyn Connie Nagel and David B. Curtis. Uh, and we're going to be talking to them about the use of the memory in painting. And I'm going to be turning you over to them very quickly because, to be honest, this is not a subject I know much about. I hastily looked up some quotes that I could give so it would sound like I was really intellectual and know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I came across one from Winston Churchill, of all people, who's better known as a politician than a painter, but who was um, a, an excellent painter in his time. And uh, he said, There is no better exercise than to study and devour a picture and then, without looking at it again, attempt the next day to reproduce it. And I suppose that's quite a good exercise to uh, to be able to to look at something and retain enough of it to be able to reproduce it. Because does but does that actually help you when you finally go outdoors to paint? Um, which one of you would like to jump right in with that one? Okay, Dave, take it away. <laughs> well, memory painting is a, a very good subject because I think a lot of people nowadays are doing. We talked um, we talked about plain air last week. And I think um, if you're not out being plain air because you have problems with the sun or hay problems fever. with being hay fever or any many reasons for you not wanting to be outdoors, just the, the bugs in the sun and everything else. Uh, so memory pain would be your next step. But any good painter would say that memory painting is something that you apply even while you're painting directly from life or nature, as we'll call it. So I think memory painting is a, an important aspect to all painting. Um, I think the more we train our memory to see something in nature and visualize it, I think, and we're plain air painting, I think we come up with more interesting um, designs and things because I think once we have that memory, we then are probably inviting a little bit of the imagination in to, to help us with, with some of these objects. So it's, it's not painting it per se, but much more about an interpretation, which I think comes about with the way, it, the way, the way we think it is, and therefore it's probably the memory. Uh, a little bit of a history lesson uh, from my point of view on memory painting was... Um, my teacher passed out a letter from uh, uh, an English gentleman who wrote to Edgar Degas and asked uh, Mr. Degas, you're the finest draftsman in all of Europe. I'd like to send my son to study with you and uh, uh, money is no object. I'll be happy to pay. And Degas wrote back, probably typically, and just said, I'll save you your money and tell your son what to do and, um, uh, and I won't be able to teach him. Basically is what he said, I, I, the way I interpret it is, I don't want to teach. But he gave him great advice, which was as he was going to the uh, academy in London, um, he was then drawing figures from life, as most, most schools you started with drawing life figures. Uh, but he suggested when the young man returned home that he start a uh, drawing at home exactly what he was doing uh, from class. 
And if he continues practicing this on a regular basis, practicing doing a drawing that he remembers the model posing as, and continues his drawing from life, and then in the end, if he practices this, in a couple months, he will see the difference between his drawing at home and the drawing directly from life. And I think there would be a big difference. And, I, and I'll sort of leave that for the imagination. Which one do you think would come out better? Well, the obvious, the obvious conclusion is if the model had a little bit of a, a paunch or a pot or, you know, was human... Uh, and you didn't want to put that in, you'd probably be thinking you had to have it in because that's what's there. Whereas from memory, you say, eh, I can change that line and make it more interesting, make it a more beautiful line than was appearing from life. And I, and I think that's some of the advantages of memory, mm -hmm. memory work. Yeah. Uh, what, what would you like to say? Well, you? Have the, you done a lot of memory work? I think I have done a lot of memory work, and um, I think it's because it's a natural, um, it's it's part of the process of painting. Uh, this Lecoq de Boisbaden was the teacher of Degas, and he uh, outlined ways to remember uh, how things were um, could be placed on the canvas or or um, on the on the paper. Uh, this this guy we we did receive some of the uh, the work that this Lecoq de Boisbaden did because it was it was archived at the University of Chicago and it, it apparently it's easier to remember an abstract shape uh, which is something that this uh, the the Degas teacher said uh, and it avoids creating sort of you know, shortened or stylized images of, let's say, a, a house or a tree or uh, a person. And, um, and I think that we organize better. Uh, when we're out in nature, I, I do believe that we're, we're constantly using our memories to recall what it is that we initially were inspired to do when we set up our canvas in front of a of a marsh or a certain kind of um, you know what we might think of as a poetic garden of flowers. Um, this this kind of thing is then better. We think about how the the lighting is. We think about we anticipate lighting. All that is is memory work. And Speed, uh, Harold Speed, in his drawing and painting books, also talks about. He he says that memory is is uh, tremendously helpful in organizing a composition. Yeah. So I you know I can I'm beginning to understand a little bit about the the practicality of it. David, you were talking about Edgar Degas giving out this information that, well, if you start, you know, you're drawing, drawing from a model at the academy and you come home and you draw it again from memory. And by doing that over and over, then presumably you become a, a better draftsman or person, person kind. Um, but how do you, I mean, a, a figure is a figure. And although we have lots of different sizes and shapes, how do you relate memory drawing from, from knowing what the figure looks like, what do you do when you go outdoors and you want to paint a landscape? How do you, because the terrain is so different, how can you remember what's 
what's there. Not only the, the shape of the terrain, but the colour values, the colour notes. What do you do that you can remember how to do that when you go back to the studio? I think that's a good question, but I think you said the key word, terrain, meaning that um, maybe you had a sort of a, just a general knowledge of uh, geology and understood how that particular hill, or mountain, or whatever it be, was constructed by nature. That would sort of give you a understanding, and it's very similar to what Connie said, yet you're going to go into the abstract here and try to remember these shapes as abstract shapes. Okay. Uh, another good story about this, um, there was a Degas was visiting a, a gentleman in the country in the chateau, and the gentleman said, Mr. Degas, you're becoming quite the painter. Would you do a landscape of my estate? And uh, Degas nodded. He wasn't a man of many words, but nodded. He would be happy to. So he says, well, that's fine then. Do a series of uh, landscapes of my estate, my gardens and everything. And they agreed. And, oh, well, months go by, six months go by. The gentleman happens to be in Paris and said, I'm near Degas' studio. I'm going to go by and ask him why he hasn't been out painting my estate. So when he walked into his studio and he looked around the floor, there were all these landscapes of his estate already there. And he looked at Degas and said, I don't remember you coming out to see and to paint my my uh, my estate, my chateau. And Degas said, I did it from memory. And so maybe in that sense, too, it's a, an emotional reaction to nature that you have that creates a mood or a feeling. And there again, I think it's through that abstract feeling that you're able to remember the scene. Mm. Um. I would, yeah, I'd piggyback on that about the feeling because feelings have a lot to do with remembering a scene. I think that if you see a full moon rising over a shoreline, you know, it's it's a it's a stunning, awe-provoking um, scene. Uh, you can you can drive back to your home and really set up and paint that. Um, I remember painting the wolf moon last year in January, and I had been by Long Sands Beach in, in York, uh, Maine, and um, walking the dog, and it was sunset, and the moon rises. It was stunning. It was really a stunning piece, and um, I had nothing with me. It was dark. Uh, I went back home again. I painted the painting, um, and I sold the painting. Uh, that's That's the trick with Facebook, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, in many times, as you say, that it was the perhaps an emotional response, but that you go back and yes, you're able to um, create a, a painting from memory, but it's, is the motivation there emotion, emotional, a, a sort of a passionate retelling of what you've just seen, as opposed to just going through the motions of creating the scene on canvas just because it, it was. Uh, you know, it was there in front of you. It was nice. It evoked a memory, but because it was so stunning to you, it you were going by by the the emotional response rather than a pictorial. I one. think I think too. Um, yes, I I think that there's a. It also reaches back into your archives, your memory mm -hmm. archives, and um, and brings up associations that sort of are consonant with 
with mm-hmm. that kind of scene. You know, it may be something in your childhood. And, and then that gets, I think, produced onto the canvas that you're painting back at home, back in the studio, wherever it is that you've gone to recreate this this scene. Now, the scene itself is is full of what we might say subject matter. You know, like mm-hmm. I was saying that there's a full moon rising over a shoreline. Um, but it um, it is coupled with all these other uh, associations, feelings, and those get translated in, a, a, including color. Now, color itself is supposed to not be very, it's, it's supposed to be quite difficult to remember colors. Uh, one of the things that I found just, I, I just went to Cancun um, about three weeks ago and came back and the week after the Cancun trip, I painted paintings from Cancun, three paintings. I can't say they were de- great paintings, but but one thing I discovered in the process was that I was remembering the colors and the ethos of, you know, the sense of um, uh, around, surrounding what I was in. And, um, and that was, for me, a pretty, uh, it was a pretty surprising discovery. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're just, uh, I do have a couple of other things I want to get into, but David, you were busy talking about Edgar Degas. I think he's, I, I love his paintings of the, um, the dancers and the horses. Uh, and I was looking to see what he had to say specifically about memory painting. Uh, and he came up with, it is very well to copy what one sees. It's much better to draw what one has retained in one's memory. It is a transformation in which imagination collaborates with memory. So when he was, is, is it that memory that was helping him when he was doing the dances in the studio? They weren't going to stand there and pose for him. Did he do sort of composites, sketches? And when he's out at the race course, the horses are prancing around. They're not going to stand still for him to be drawing them. So when he's doing those pieces, which... We all, you know, when you think of Degas, perhaps it's those kind of subjects that you think about. Is it because he had trained his memory so well he could do those those subjects? Well, I, I don't know which came first, um, whether it was Boys Barden and then he took a course with Boys Barden. Um, to echo a little bit what Connie was saying, the Boys Barden students, when they wanted to be accepted into the... Uh, the salon, the academies, and the salons in Paris. I believe they had to take a drawing test, but the boys' Barden students would go in, look at the figure, and then return to a small cubicle and uh, begin drawing from what they remembered. And this was quite quite an amazing uh, idea. I think you've said it all when you look at Degas. Degas was a master composer and designer if not one, the one who really explored design. And with the use of um, ballerinas or horses, uh, those were his favorite subject matters. And I think that says a lot, because ballerinas don't stay still, and neither do horses. And I think it's this idea of movement that he incorporates with both of these ideas of uh, composition and memory training that go hand in hand, as he, as you said in the quote, with imagination, 
to create an amazing work of art. So that even if something is misdrawn, it doesn't stand out because of the design of the painting. Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot to there's so much to painting and to rate what's the most important part to what's the least important part. Probably just signing your name is the least important part. <laughs> but the most important part is to get to get something that feels right. Yeah. And any painter would say the same thing. And I think Degas was after a very um understanding the movement of the ballerinas, but to put them in a way that it still created the essence of movement. Yeah. And I, oh, I, the I, fact I, that they bleed off the canvas in so many instances, obviously there's something going on over, over there, beyond the parameters of the He of doesn't the allow you to leave the canvas. Yeah. No, he's a master designer. Uh, the, 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 so the other story I have, which is very similar, it's a, a friend of mine who teaches in Atelier in New Hampshire, Paul Ingbertson. Uh, experimented with memory uh, with a small class of students, and he did a quick sketch demonstration, the way I understand the story, um, of um, what a very suggestive idea. And somebody said it looked like a figure standing in a doorway, you know, but it was very semi-abstract, just big shapes and colors. And he asked, who who recognized what this would would what I've suggested here in paint? And those raised their hand and he took a note. Those who didn't see anything there are the ones who copied it better when he turned it to the wall and said, I want you to make a copy of it. Those who didn't know it was a figure standing at a door but just remembered there's a funny little curvy shape over here and then there's a, oh yeah, over here and it's about three inches away is a straight line. And and they were able to assemble the painting from memory because they didn't put apply their minds eye to to what they saw they and, and caught to up figure with it, it out. A figure. They were just exactly. trying to represent the abstract. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting it story because yeah. it does point out again what Connie said that it's probably easier to remember an abstraction yeah. than it also, is to remember um, something that we recognize. Right? Would you think that? Um, I mean, that reminds me that. Um, it all boils down to the scene, you know, and, and David, what you're just describing is the practice of scene because you're seeing without, you know, without any, you know, connotation or, or putting something over it that says, I'm seeing a tree or I'm seeing a, a, a chair in front of me. And so those, those broad strokes, those flat masses allow us to get into a rhythmic, you know, display that that would not ordinarily be there in, in you know, if we had the composition. It's a lot from memory, uh, which is George Innes. Uh, I think he is a terrific painter. When you look at the, the kind of work he produces, obviously um, this some of these great stormy pieces are not being produced on the spot, uh, and therefore he must have a phenomenal memory to be able to go back and reproduce these works in the studio. Um, so I was looking up, um, I, I know we have um, a biography about uh, Innes that was um, done by his son. Sorry, obviously we're talking about memory here and mine's totally short. <laughs> However, that I digress. Talking about visual memory. Yes. <laughs> 
So I'm uh, trying to, again, trying to make myself look more intellectual. Uh, we have a quote here from George Innes. The true end of art is not to imitate a fixed material condition, but to represent a living emotion. So his idea of painting is to go out uh, to observe the landscape and then come back and create something. Uh, perhaps this is where Charlie Mavali comes in with his understate, overstate, never tell the truth, because when you yes, look at does. some of the, the colour tones in Innes's work, they're, they're so strong and bold. Um, is that where the, the use of memory, you can come back and you can create that sort of pictorial look, but then you can also enhance it by a more imaginative response. Uh, you know, if you see a sunset, you can take those colours and... No, George is, is a marvel. Homer used a lot of imagination, too, in, 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 yeah, for, in yeah, memory work, you might seas. say, yes. And, um, you mean he wasn't out on the deck with his, uh, with his easel? Um, uh, those, in the storm, in he, had, he was lashed to a mass, like William Turner. <laughs> Um, I, I think Innes is probably one of the great American landscape painters, one of the great landscape painters, and it's all from memory, um, but he always, I think, has a, an emotional attachment to his work. And I, the piece in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, which I think is just sort of a big open meadow with cloud shadows streaming across and a cow coming up a road, and I had seen it reproduced, but when I saw that painting in real life, uh, it, it literally came to life. I mean, those cloud shadows were moving, and I couldn't believe um, what he captured there. Uh, it was brilliant. Um, he can capture a wind coming up and hitting some trees and it raining in one section of the painting and not in another. I mean, he sees nature in its total to totality, and it's all brilliantly done from his imagination, um, and I would also, too, obviously, from memory, because I think he took long walks in nature. I believe he was a spiritualist. I think he was a Swedenborgian. So that probably came into his being. I think he's, um, I think he's the best. But like I said, there are many painters who applied this. Um, I think when nature calls you and you can go outdoors and paint, as we mentioned in plain air, you can learn and benefit a lot from from nature. But I don't think you have to be a strict addict of just painting in front of nature. I think the the, the understanding of memory work and training your memory to make a better painting, I think would be very, very a, a good added uh Part to your repertoire is to use your memory. And uh, um, as I said, yes, people want to, you know, if you're doing a portrait of somebody, they want you to get a likeness. But they want the likeness that they think they see. They look like. What they, what they look like. So you have to be a mind reader as well to paint their portrait so you know what they think they look like so you can use your, um, your memory to construct that portrait. In other words, painting is artifice, it's artificial. You want to make a painting sing, and I think a lot of these things like memory training and uh, uh, using your imagination, using the creative process, is, is all there in this giant box of uh, tools that you can open and put to use. And... You know, to say that values can only do this, this, and this would be, 
I think we did. It's like a hammer can only make a bird feeder. I think you could make a boat or a house with a hammer. So I think these tools are all, I think some of these tools are so old in time, like mem the memory painting, as Connie pointed out, the Boys Barden course that was created at the turn of the century. I think, I think these are very important tools that have sort of uh, escaped people. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's because of, let's talk a little bit about the photography issue. And is, is a photograph as good as your own memory? Well, I was uh, going to also say before we conclude that um, there are ways to improve our memory for composition. And, um, and I mean, we could talk about uh, do, pho do photographs, and I think that would be included in this way, way of, of jogging our memory. Uh, we do have our iPhones. We have uh, simple and easy, convenient ways to take photographs and take them back to the studio or to our home and and uh, remember the scene that we were painting. And I think that the caution that we need to to use is to is to not use those those photographs for the color, to use them for for some forms, for remembering what the pattern was and, mm -hmm. and what was in front of, uh, you know, what, what uh, kind of the positioning of things, mm -hmm. the location of things. But we, um, we might want to think about improving our memory of composition. And I, I was going to say one way would be um, to use the ways in which we all know so well that we remembered certain poems, that we we sort of picked um, we picked uh, ways to um, memorize, like made little ditties, you know, um, that allowed us to remember the first line of a poem. We can do the same thing, and even this Lecoq de Boisbaden was talking about looking out, getting getting the shape that you see in front of you, and seeing what peculiar aspect of that uh, diagonal uh, might stay within your memory. But, but it's those kinds of cues that we use to uh, create a, um, a really um, harmonious composition. So, and is this the kind of thing that you're going to be teaching in your Sight and Insight composition workshop? Is, uh, are you trying to encourage people to see composition from a different point of view, not just from, well, you look at what's in front of you and you just start painting. I know, Connie, that you're interested in this um, uh, this gestural aspect, a pictorial gesture that you can, um, that helps you retain sort of what you see in the, the first initial impression is the rhythm of the, yes. of the land, perhaps, so that uh, you're going to be able to help students we will find this way uh, another way of creating a composition other than that, than just by holding up a viewfinder or taking a photo. Exactly. I mean, in the composition workshop that we're holding in June, uh, we use the memory card. We've developed David and I have developed a memory card, which is actually to to put down this quick gestural uh, template. Let's mm -hmm. say. And, um, and that is your first impression of the scene in which you're going to paint. Then to put quick color notes down. And then following that, you can, you're in 
the memory mode. Yeah. Because um, once you've put that gesture down, you are remembering that gesture throughout the painting process. Mm. Yeah. And that is going to be part of our compositional workshop. Okay, and that's going to be what, in June? June. I, I believe it starts June 17th. Oh, great. Well, that's not far off, folks. So if you'd like to sign up, go check out David's website, davidpcurtis.com, uh, and there'll be information up there that uh, might help you with your memory painting. So as we, uh, as we come to a close, because the artists are going to go out painting very shortly, um, I come up with one last quote, which speaks to me very much. This is by writer Judith Guest, and she says, Make notes. I've lost more material than I've ever written. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not still up there in one's brain. It's in outer space, and it ain't coming back. <laughs> and boy, do I feel like that some days. So thank you for listening. We hope that your memories will be good enough to tune in next week. Uh, to hear our eighth podcast. So thank you for joining us and go out and have a great day.